According to Mark. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. So as we recall from last Sunday, our first reading was from the book of Samuel, and we heard about the call of the young prophet Samuel, and then in the gospel we heard about the call of some of the first apostles, Um, and here again we hear about the call of these apostles, and this seems to be kind of the beginning of their actual following Jesus. In our first reading we we get the book of Jonah, Jonah the prophet, and you know, we just had a little excerpt from that book. Um, the book is quite short. It's one of the shortest books in all of the scriptures. You could really read it in probably about a half an hour or so. It's just a couple pages and uh, maybe even less than that. It's really worth reading. Um, and so I'd like to say a few words about Jonah um, and his call, and some takeaways from that. And It's very interesting that Jesus only compares himself, I think, to one figure, period. Uh, One prophet, period, directly from the Old Testament prophets. And of all the prophets, the great prophets that Jesus could have chosen to compare himself to, um, he decided to to compare himself to Jonah, um, of all the figures. So that's it. He, He could have chosen Isaiah, he could have chosen Jeremiah. He could have chosen Elijah or Elisha, you know, some of these really, really great human beings, these great prophets. But really, he, he chooses Jonah. And it's quite beautiful that he chooses Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who didn't want to be a prophet. A lot of the prophets are, are fairly reluctant 
at the beginning of their calling. Jonah is, is probably the most stubborn. Um, so he is existing during the time of the Assyrian Empire. A lot of people say that was kind of the, the first great empire in that area uh, of the world. The Assyrians were a very brutal, brutal people. Um, they were about as bad as you could imagine. In fact, their brutality kind of eventually led to their downfall. They couldn't quite keep kingdoms that they conquered, which included the Jews. The, they, they had the whole area that Jonah would have um, been a part of the, the conquered. And so they were so brutal, though, that unlike the Romans, who were slightly more lenient as a measure of not getting overly rebellious little kingdoms coming up against them, it helped them to... It helped them to, uh, to last a little bit longer without complications. The Assyrians, one of their downfalls was they were so brutal that people um, rebelled against them fairly frequently. And so they were really wicked and difficult people. And so Jonah's called by God to go to the central hub of this empire, which was Nineveh. And he's called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance so as to potentially save the people. Now, Jonah doesn't want to do this because Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to repent. Jonah does believe that God is God and that, you know, if, if this is successful, then these people are actually going to repent and God is going to spare them instead of just completely um, obliterating them for their wickedness and their evil. And so, Jonah's called by God. Um, Jonah is called by God, and then he actually goes in a boat that is heading the exact opposite direction as Nineveh. So he just starts going the other way. Now, what happens when Jonah starts going the other way is this giant storm awakes in the sea, and Jonah's in the bottom of the boat, and these fishermen are not fellow Jews or religious uh, deeply religious to the God of Israel, but they attribute the fact that this storm is coming to someone not giving their proper uh, tribute to God in some way. And Jonah knows that the reason that there's a storm is because he's the one on the boat. So he comes up and, uh, and essentially he's, he's thrown off the boat because they know that God is the one who is surging this. And then the, the, the storm calms down immediately when he's off the boat. As we know famously, Jonah is swallowed up by the giant fish. And uh, we don't hear that it's a whale. I was always taught it was a whale when I was a kid. But it, 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 was, uh, it was a great fish is, is kind of the words that, that are used. And we love, this, we love this image, I think especially as children, the image of Jonah being swallowed by the fish. And Jonah, presumably, actually, if you read his prayer inside the belly of the whale, um, it, it seems to me that Jonah probably died, actually, when he was consumed by the fish. And God revived him. He talks about going into the netherworld of Sheol. And depending on how you read that, I, I think Jonah died. And one of the reasons that Jesus, of course, compares himself to Jonah 
is because of this image of dying and God raising him up and being in the belly of the whale and it all seeming like it's over. And then Jonah is, the, the term is actually vomited up onto the shores of Nineveh. So he's trying to go the opposite way. The fish brings him uh, all the way to one place that he didn't want to go. Just then he vomits him on the, on the seashore and Jonah is revived. And so Jonah then goes into Nineveh and he kind of reluctantly preaches that the city's going to be destroyed. And surprisingly, so again, this is a thing with the prophets throughout the scriptures is they're, they, they are seemingly always up against the worst and people don't listen. So it's, it's like the prophets are always persecuted because they're the ones who are telling people the thing that they don't want to hear that's actually coming from God and they generally are unsuccessful. So here you have Jonah who really doesn't want to do this in the first place and he's actually immediately successful. So surprisingly, and this is kind of, it's just a, it's a Jonah's meant, the book of Jonah is meant to be read as a comedy as well. Um, pretty much most scholars agree on that. It's hard to pick up on innuendos of comedy in the scriptures because of the cultural distance that we have from the people who are writing these and the audiences. But Jonah is kind of a comedy. And so Jonah is vomited up. He's immediately successful. And he gets really upset, actually. Um, at the end of the book, he's kind of sulky. And we just hear just a little word from God at the very end about his compassion for this people. And he kind of reproves Jonah. And he says, Jonah, um, these people don't know their left hand from their right hand. Um, should I not have mercy on them? And God does a little kind of mini miracle, you might say, to help Jonah understand that. And you could read the book if you want to read that conclusion. It's very interesting. Takeaways that I'd like to talk about, particularly from our own call to where God has called us, is I, I, I often hear people say things like, and I think this is like a, a popular phrase in culture, is everything happens for a reason. That's never really been a theological concept. We don't believe that as Catholics, as biblical people. Um, everything doesn't necessarily happen as a part of you know, God's intention. Obviously, God doesn't want us to go through certain periods of suffering. He doesn't want um, the most tragic things that we experience as human beings to happen. Um, he doesn't want you know, children to die, for instance. Um, God does not want uh, abuse to take place. Uh, God does not want, wherever your mind goes, He does not intend that. Um, so no, everything doesn't happen for a reason. That being the case, God does bring good out of evil. He permits evil. And God brings good out of evil ultimately. That's an act of faith to see that when we're in the face of tragedy and to believe that God actually does bring good out of evil. Now this goes also, I think a lot of people are probably called to various things from God and they just suppress their conscience conscience suppress what they know they are supposed to do um, that could be a bigger call in life I can't tell you how many people 
as adults tell me, I had, a, I had a call to the priesthood or I had a call to be a religious sister when I was a girl. It was very clear to me, Father. Um, and I just, I just didn't want to follow that. And it's fine. God brings good, right? God, God brings good. Just like Jonah. Um, Jonah got to Nineveh whether he liked it or not. Um, was he the greatest prophet? No. Um, but God has a way of kind of reorienting and making good, which just, he just needs a little bit of good intention. Um, but oftentimes we do, I'd say probably regularly, maybe even daily for the average person, um, we thwart God's desire. And we kind of kill our conscience, which is the thing that we should really try to keep as clean and clear and well-informed as possible. Um, the conscience is kind of the vehicle for us being capable of hearing and seeing God and allowing God to flow through us. We have the capacity as human beings to dull and to kill our conscience. When we don't listen to it one time and then another time and then another time, and this adds up, we just slowly start to kill it and mute it. And as we kill our own consciences, we say, oh, how could that person have done that thing or been involved in that particular um, horrible lifestyle? We often think this about other people. Um, well, they slowly kill their conscience over time. Um, and as we do that, we make ourselves less capable of following through with God's will. And when you do that over and over and over again, and you don't repent, um, then, you, then you start to get in a very dangerous place. You don't want to be in that place before you die. Um, Jesus' central theme here is to repent. That is to say, when you hear something in your conscience that you know is right, if you're in a lifestyle or in a habit of doing something um, that is the wrong way, you're actually headed in the wrong direction, you're like Jonah going to Tarshish instead of Nineveh, um, turn around. That's Jesus' first words that we hear him ever speak, period. Um, as an adult in his public ministry. It's right here in this gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn around from wicked things that kill your soul and that kill God's presence within you and that do not allow you to see God and what he is actually calling you to do. Lord, we ask you to bless us this day and help us to... Um, have fully vibrant and alive consciences um, and help us when we do go the wrong way and we follow patterns that are problematic in our lives, help us, as you were merciful to Jonah and kept bringing him back into his, the line that you were creating for him and the path that you had set for him. Please be patient with us. Help us to repent for many, especially serious, problematic sins or patterns of sin. Help us to be obedient to you and follow the easy way, um, the way that leads to less anxiety and sadness, uh, the way of joy that you call us to. 
Help us to have open and humble hearts and cultivate a disposition of humility and help us to have a childlike faith and help us to see each day as a new opportunity to grow in relationship with you and help us to live fully. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And let's say